We are continuing our series this morning called False Advertising, and it's titled, You're Not You When You're Hungry. And we've been looking at uh, basically the desires and the longings that are true of every human being, and how even our world understands this. And when when you look at commercials, they'll often tap into these longings, these desires that we have in our lives. And, and even though they're just offering a product like a chocolate bar, uh, a smart and wise sales pitch that they're, they're doing is to tap into deeper things. And so I'm going to throw this out there just really quickly. When you watch the Snickers commercial, what is the deep longing that you think that commercial is tapping into? You can shout out your answer. Being yourself. Man, you nailed it. I... I First service, it took like 15 tries. Um, somebody said hunger, and that was very true. On a very basic level, satisfying hunger. Hick, Snickers satisfies. But being yourself, the tagline at the end is, you're not you when you're hungry. So the thought process, if you're not you and you're trying to find yourself, eat a Snickers bar, and then you'll discover who you really are. Anybody want to find themselves this morning, discover who you really are? <laughs> I won't give you a Snickers if you put up your hand. I'm just, uh, just curious. The, these deeper longings and desires, uh, even though the, spot, the Bible speaks to them, people that don't even believe in the Bible, don't even follow Jesus, have recognized this. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Abraham Maslow that we looked at last week. I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a recap here just to bring us up to speed. Uh, he created something that we know as Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, um, and he's in the psychology realm, and, and we're going to throw that triangle. So he, he created a triangle. We're going to put that on the screen. And so the basic idea of this is uh, that every human being, no matter who you are, basically has the same core needs. Uh, physiological, Snickers bar, you need to eat. You need food, shelter, clothing. Without food, shelter, clothing, you can't feel safe. Right? And then we have a need for safety, for security, uh, which we talked about a few weeks ago. We have a need, and out of that, we have a need for uh, love and belonging, which we looked at last week. And uh, this morning, we're going to try and tackle uh, esteem and self-actualization, which he has at the top of his, his triangle there. So esteem being, you know, self-respect, self-esteem, how you understand who you are, self-actualization, what you were created to do. Uh, in fact, uh, Maslow talks about esteem and uh, points out that fame or glory will not help the person build their self-esteem until they accept who they are internally. So there needs to be this acceptance, this acknowledgement of who who we are, uh, that out of that, he says that uh, what a man can be, he must be, and this quotation, it it forms the basis of the perceived need for self-actualization. This level of need refers to what a person's full potential is and the realization of that potential Maslow describes this level as the desire to accomplish everything that one can to become the most that one person can be. So if I talk to you, I'm sure that you would express to me that you have a desire to have a purpose in this life, have a purpose on this planet. There was something you were created for, you want meaning, right? So this is what Maslow is trying to tap into here. But after years of working with this triangle, it's actually fascinating that later he went back and he said, this triangle's missing something. And he, he grew in his critical view of the, the phase of self-actualization. 
And he said that the self actually only finds this in giving itself to some higher goal outside of oneself in altruism or spirituality. That as he's looking at human nature, he recognizes that until the human being finally has something outside of oneself, that they can't truly find who they are and what they were created for. And last week we talked about the nature of desire. James 1, 13 to 14 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their evil desire and enticed. Then desire, when after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So two phrases there just to highlight really quickly. Uh, dragged away and evil desire. So first... There's, in the Greek, the word evil isn't in there. It just says one's own desire. So in the original language. That, and, and we see this throughout Scripture that there's desires and longings that are in every human being, and those things aren't inherently evil. They're actually good. But God created a certain way, a certain structure for us to live under so that those desires can find their fulfillment so that they can give us life. When we pursue those desires outside of God's intended purposes, outside of his plan, we become dragged away by them. And then that leads to, and when, that's, when that desire gets so big, it leads to sin. And when sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, when I was in about grade six... Uh, there, was a, there was a guy in my school in grade 12 at the time, and his name was Jared Bartley. Can you say Jared Bartley? <laughs> now, when you say that name, what's the, picture, what's the type of picture you get when you think of that person? You, the imagine, you're imagining Jared Bartley. What does he look like? Big. Did somebody say big? Okay, so Jared Bartley was like 6'6", 300-plus pounds, at least this is how big he was when I was in grade six. I don't know the actual measurements here, okay? But as a six-year-old, looking at Jared Bartley, he was huge. And, and we used to, uh, I grew up in a school that was K to 12 all the way through. And, uh, and so we all living at the same school, us grade sixers, you know, we're in junior high. And we would run down the senior high hallway, the grade 12 hallway, and we would make fun of Jared Bartley just to see if we could get out alive, so we'd run down the hallway, we'd yell names at him, we'd, we'd hit him, and we'd just keep running, um, and he would, he would just go crazy. And I remember one lunch hour, we're eating lunch in the gymnasium, and the bleachers were set out, and so me and my grade six posse were sitting, we're eating lunch and sitting up on the top bleacher in the gym. I was eating my sandwich, I was half done my sandwich, and I, you know, elbowed the guy next the guy's next to me and said, check this out. Now, this is going to be a cool moment right here. I took my sandwich. I threw it. Jared Bartley was sitting at the front row of the bleacher. Threw it down to the front row. It hit Jared Bartley in the back of the neck. Went down his shirt. And he turned around and locked eyes with me, this death stare. And my moment of coolness turned into like a moment of death. And so he turns around, he climbs up the bleachers, and it was like th that slow motion, you know, in the Terminator, like, uh, sorry, not that I've seen the Terminator, but, uh, you know, that, 
that slow step where it's like this inevitable consequence is about to happen. And so he walks up the bleachers, he grabs me by the shirt, and he drags me down the bleachers. So I'm just being dragged like a rag, rag doll. The whole, the whole school, K-12, is in this gymnasium eating lunch, and they're seeing me get dragged down the bleachers, dragged across the gym floor, and he drags me into the office and brings me to the principal, and he tells the principal what I had just done. I want to focus on the, he dragged me into the office piece, but just as a quick asterisk, when I, when I stood before the principal, um, and he said, this is what the kid did to me, and I, and I turned on my victim face, and I said, you know what, I'm so sick of being bullied by Jared Bartley, I go through that hallway every day, and he tries to beat me up, and, and the principal looks at Jared, and, and, he, and he looks at me, and he says, you can go now, and he keeps Jared in the office, and Jared ends up getting in trouble, not me. Um, hey, when you're, when you're six years old, you do what you, or grade six, you do what you got to do, right? Anyways, this, this picture of being dragged, I get dragged by Jared Bartley, this, this is what I see when I, when I look at the words and I say, what each person, when tempted, they're dragged away by their own desire. That we have desires and longings in our lives that God put there that are good, that he intends us to pursue under his authority in the way that he created them to be pursued. But when we go outside of his way, these desires grow they increase. They become Jared Bartley type size and they end up dragging us. Some of you have, are currently being dragged around by your desires that have grown out of control. You feel helpless. You feel like a grade six boy being dragged around by a six foot six, 350 pound dude and you say, there's no chance that I have against this desire. It's because at one point you actually pursued this long and this desire outside of the way God intended you, intended it for you pursued. And now it's grown into this thing and is dragging you around. God is calling us to bring our desires and longings into alignment with him and his kingdom. And that's where we find life, not death. Where we grow in maturity. So we looked at the story a few weeks back of Adam and the decision he made to go outside of God's desire. He ends up going east of Eden, away from God's plan. Uh, we talked last week about Cain and Eight or Sorry, that a few weeks ago about Cain and Abel, uh, and you know the the murder scene there, and the further removal away from God and His plan, uh, and then down the lineage we we came to Isaac who had uh, Esau and Jacob, and we talked about Esau and Jacob last week, and that, this is where we want to pick up the story again with the story of Esau and Jacob. We kind of got into it last week, um, but we're gonna keep going with it this week. So Esau. His name means hairy. He was a hairy dude. Uh, he had hair growing everywhere. Uh, and he had hair growing in places where other people don't have hair growing. Can anybody, anybody want to say, my name should be Esau? Anybody want to <laughs> say, call me Esau? No. I know some of you. I've seen. <laughs> I find my hair is just migrating from my head to other places. I... Esau means hairy. He, 
this hairy dude. And Jacob, his brother, and his name means deceiver, heel grabber, supplanter, backstabber. That's, kind of, that's the kind of idea that, that it's around his name. Esau was the oldest. Jacob was the youngest. It says of Jacob that he loved to stay at home among the tents, and Esau was a hunter. So Esau's out hunting for game. His, his father loved him because he would bring the game home, and the father would eat it. his father Isaac would eat it. And so there was high favor and love that Esau had from his father. Jacob would stay among the tents, which means he was a mama's boy. He would stay home. So when his brother was out doing man stuff, he was at home watching Grey's Anatomy and the midwife with his mom. How old do you think Jacob is in this, at this point in the story, just by the way? Anyone want to take a guess? 16? Okay, I'll come back to that. That's what you would think. Um, actually, I'll just tell you right now. He was 76. 76, still living at home. Um, some of you need to move out of your parents' house, just, just saying. So Esau, the oldest, Jacob, the youngest. Esau, when you're the oldest, the oldest has... Two, two rights that they're given. The birthright, in which they kind of get a double portion of the inheritance than the other siblings. And the blessing. The blessing of the older son to be an heir in the family line. And if you follow through the story, we talked about blessing last week, we'll recap that in a second. But uh, the birthright story, Esau was out hunting and came back and he was so hungry, and, he, and his, his brother was cooking in the kitchen because he's at home with mom among the tents. And Esau comes and says, I want some food. I'm really hungry. And Jacob says, I won't give you food unless you give me your birthright. Esau says, deal. Deal. He gives up his birthright for a bowl of soup. You know, we see this theme through J Jacob's life, right? He's... He's looking for love and belonging, like we talked about last week. He's looking for blessing and identity. And he says, I'll give, give me your birthright, and then I'll feed you. And Esau says, deal. And, and, and this decision that Esau makes is, is almost like a micro picture of what we're, we're talking about in this whole series, that, that sometimes we give up what we want most for what we want now. Like Esau, we give up what we want most for what we want now. That we make these temporary decisions in life when these desires are growing out of control to try and satisfy those desires that compromise the ultimate place that we would actually like to be in life. And if I were to ask you, you know, are you where you want to be? Are you the person that you want to be? We would probably all say no to some degree. Because at some point, we made temporary decisions and gave up long-term blessing. We give up what we want most for what we want now. And so we see the story of, of Jacob, and we, we went through it last week. I won't recap it. If you haven't listened, I would encourage you to go back and listen to, to the search that Jacob has for love and belonging. Um, but it leads him on this journey. He leaves his... His parents, his, he never had the love of his father. 
right? He leaves the love that he had with his mother. Uh, he ends up in a couple of marriage relationships, and he's searching and grasping for the sense of love and, love and belonging. We talked about the story with Rachel and Leah, the two sisters that he had married. It says, when he left his family, Scripture describes the story of him journeying and wandering for 21 years. 21 years. And at some point, he realized that I can't keep wandering, that, that this journey that I'm on isn't delivering on his promise. The thing that I'm looking for isn't being found. I got to go back home. I got to face Esau. And so he makes the decision to turn around and go back home. And this is actually like a picture of repentance. When the Bible uses the word repentance, that's all it's talking about is this turning. You're changing direction. I'm going away from Eden. I'm going away from God's plan. I'm wandering. And now I'm actually going to decide not to wander, turn around and head back to where God's calling me to go. And so he heads back home. And as he heads back home, he encounters this being in Genesis 32. And this is where we're going to pick up the story this morning. Genesis 32, verse 22 to 31. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his passions, possessions, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So just a quick interruption. Isn't it often when we're left alone that we feel alone that God does the most profound work in our lives? It's in this moment where Jacob is left alone. You know, you kind of see it. He's searching for belonging and love. He's got all, the, he's got all these people around him. But it's this moment when he kind of lets go of that. And he's left alone. He's by himself that he has this encounter with this man uh, who, who's actually God, as we'll see in a second. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for its daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. So this passion to be blessed that was working against Jacob his whole life is now working for him as he, as he comes to God. And the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob's looking for blessing, and this man, this God-man, this divine figure, asks him, what's your name? Uh, it's an echo. When, when was the last time Jacob was looking for blessing and was asked who he was? I heard somebody say it. His father, Isaac. Isaac says, who are you? He says, I'm Esau. Jacob's whole life, he's looking for blessing feeling like he has to pretend to be somebody else in order to be accepted in love, pretend to be somebody else in order to receive blessing. And at this point, after years of wandering, he's done pretending. So God asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. My name's Jacob. My name's Deceiver backstabber, heel grabber, supplanter. That's who I am. But catch, catch this. In the moment where Jacob decides to finally be honest with who he is, is the same moment that he finally receives blessing and a new name. 
The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will no longer be backstabber, deceiver, heel grabber, but your new name is going to be Israel because Israel means with God or wrestle with God because you've struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. And then Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called this place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. And that's what that name, that name of the town means, is face, God, uh, face to face, or God's face. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Just as a side note, Jacob's 96. He needs a hip replacement. <laughs> Sounds about right. Because he wanted for uh, or 97. He wanted for 21 years, right? Uh, he's 97 at this point, and he dislocates his hip. Uh, so if you're 97 years old, stop wrestling. I, I got I to gotta warn you. Not, not wise. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And so you go on and, and you recognize that this person that Jacob realizes after, and that's why the, this man, this divine man, had to leave in the morning because of, uh, the Jewish people knew if you actually saw the face of God, then you would die. Jacob encounters God. And this encounter changes everything. Once he admits once he stops faking it, once he admits who he is, and he says, God, this is who I am. This is my brokenness. This is my stuff. This is, I, I've been deceiving. I've been lying. I've been you know, wandering. I've been going my own way. And then he turns around come and encounters God and comes to God with honesty. And it's that point that he's given a new name and he's finally getting, get, got the blessing that he's been searching for his whole life. But he doesn't come away unwounded. It says that he hurt his hip, and then he walks away with a limp. And one of the commentaries I was reading, it says that, I just love this line, it says, every saint walks with a limp. Anybody who's been deeply transformed by God actually walks with a limp. We'll come back to that in a minute. If we continue on in the story, we get to Genesis 33. In Genesis 33, Jacob encounters Esau because remember, he's going back home to see Esau. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he meets Esau. He doesn't know they're going to have a standoff. You know, they got fighting men on each side. they got their families. And Jacob is preparing for the worst. But he's surprised when he comes to Esau because Esau doesn't meet him with anger, with hatred, but embraces Jacob. And Jacob sends him gifts. He's sending gifts on ahead of him. And so when, when they finally encounter and they come face to face, uh, Esau says, you know, you don't need to give me any gifts. And we pick up the story of Genesis 33, 10 to 11, and Jacob insists, no, if I have found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It's like seeing the face of God. Please take this gift as I have, I have brought for you. Uh, brought you, for God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. Don't lose what's happening here. That Jacob, who's denying who he was his whole life and finally embraces it, comes before God, and in that moment of transparency and authenticity, is given a new name. He's given a new name because he encounters God. And once he sees God, once he... 
once he has this encounter, he looks at Esau, and the text says, when I look at you, I see the face of God. That Esau, his whole life, represented his enemy, his competition, the thing that was standing against him, opposed to him. But now Jacob leaves his meeting with God and views his world and his relationships in a whole, in, whole new way. That when we, when we encounter God, when God transforms us, we begin to see the face of God in other people. You know, when Jesus teaches us to, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, how is that possible? Because once we meet God, we recognize that the image of God is stamped on every human being. When we've encountered God face to face, we actually begin to see his face in other people. That the people that were your competition are now your companion. The people that are against you, now you realize they're on the same journey as you. And so we, we see that Jacob's encounter with God starts to change everything. So if we continue on in the story, uh, you can read the details of the story in your own time. I know I'm kind of fast-forwarding over uh, chunks here, but we, we go to Genesis 35. In Genesis 35, you know, obviously, Rachel, Jacob, they're getting a little older at this point. Uh, Rachel's given birth to one son already, Joseph. It's time for Rachel to give birth to another son. And Rachel was barren for many, many years as her sister Leah was, um, was able to have babies when Rachel wasn't. God blessed her finally with Joseph. And then God's blessing her with another son, which Rachel asked for. So Rachel prayed, asked God for uh, another son. And so we see that she's pregnant here in Genesis 35, verse 16 to 19. It says, They moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni. But his father named him Benjamin. Rachel, this person that he's, was the object of his affection, his pursuit for 14 years before he ever got to marry her. The love of his life on her deathbed, giving birth to his child. You know, you can see this, this life and death kind of playing out here in this, in this scene. And she gives birth to a son, names him Ben-Oni. Can you say Ben-Oni? I, I don't know if you were... If anybody here is, you know, expecting anytime soon, I just, I just got to be honest. I don't really like that name. Don't, don't name your kid Ben-Oni. Um, not that what I think matters. Um, but you ever had that experience when you ask somebody what, what they're going to name the, or what the name of the kid is, and you almost want to find out what it is beforehand so you can prepare yourself in case you don't like the name and you don't want that to show on your face? I'm bad at hiding things, right? So sometimes, you know, I name my kid Ben-Oni, and you're like, that's... That's great. That's a unique name. I've uh, I've never heard that name before. Um, 
my older brother was going to be named Dusty. Just think, just, I don't know if you know my last name, uh, Dusty. It's just a bad, it's a bad combo. I'm glad my dad intervened. I'm glad dad said, I don't like that name. It's not a good fit. We got to go with Michael. Michael's so much better. <clears throat> Benoni. Benoni, Ben means son. Oni means sorrow. Rachel is giving birth and she's dying and she names him Benoni. Son of my sorrow. That the name this child receives is the name he was given because of a circumstance in life. In this circumstance, he had no control over. But ironically, Oni also means strength. I don't think Rachel was thinking of this. I don't think this is what was intended in the name. But it's interesting. In retrospect, you look back and sorrow means strength. Which begs the question, what if, what if strength and sorrow are actually very similar? What if great strength is always born out of great sorrow? What if it's true that saints always walk with a limp? What if depth always actually is birthed in despair? And I think this is true even when we look at the life of Jesus. We, we look at him, we... We say, you know, he's strong. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the name above every other name. That Jesus is even stronger than Jared Bartley. He's strong. But Isaiah calls him the man of, we sang about it this morning, man of sorrows. Isaiah said he's a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And in Jesus we see great sorrow, great strength. Great despair, but great depth. The slave who was king. And so Rachel says, I'm going to name him Benoni, son of my sorrow. And then the boy comes to Jacob, and Jacob says, I don't really like that name. I'm going to name him Benjamin. Before we get to Benjamin, you know, Jacob had a history of understanding this idea of renaming. You know, if you look through the story, every place of significance in the Jacob story, he leaves, when he leaves, he renames. You know, he renamed a town Bethel, which means house of God, place of heaven, this place where I encountered heaven or God for the first time. He names a place Mahanaim, at least that's what I'm going with, um, which means the encampment of God, this idea that God is fighting for him, that he's not in it alone. And then he names the last place where he wrestles with God, Peniel, which means face of God. And then when he wrestles God, God names him Israel because his name was Jacob. And I can just picture Jacob thinking, you know, I can rename places. God's renamed me. And now that he's renamed me, that I have this new identity, I actually look at my world differently. 
And even though my wife named my kid son of my sorrows, I'm not going to let the past dictate who he is, and I'm going to give him a new name, and his new name is Benjamin. Ben, son, Jamin. You ready for this? You can just feel the crescendo in the sermon right now, right? The Jamin, this means son of my right hand. Just to give a little bit of background, when Isaac went to bless Jacob, Isaac put his, which hand on Jacob's head? His right hand. Right hand throughout Scripture represents favor, represents the transfer of blessing, represents life, represents authority and power. And so when Jacob goes to Isaac and said, pretends to be Esau looking for blessing, I think Jacob realized in his wandering years that God couldn't bless who he was pretending to be. And so this wrestling moment with God, it's, it's like God wrestles with Jacob. It's like this right-hand moment where, where this, this, this blessing is actually finally given to Jacob when he comes to grips with who he was. And after he came to grips with who he was, he realizes that it's not just me that's given a new name. God's given me the authority to name things in my world. And where did he get that idea from? That actually came from Adam. Sorry, not to get off on a rabbit trail. Adam was given authority in the Garden of Eden to name the animals. The, the authority has been given to us as God's image bearers to name the world and things around us. Rachel was doing what was her God-given nature to do, which, which was to name her kid. But often we name things based out of our own brokenness, our own moment, our own place of despair, and that's what Rachel did, son of my sorrow. But Jacob says, I'm no longer going to name things in my life or look at things in my life out of my place of brokenness, longing, hurt, rejection. I'm starting to name things and see things because I finally recognize that I'm accepted and I belong with God, that he's the source of my identity, and now I have purpose. So he looks at his son and he says, you're not going to be man of my sorrows. You're no longer going to be defined by your past, but now you're going to be or son of my right hand, son of my blessing, son of life, son of power, son of authority. Please notice the progression. Jacob stopped faking who he was, came to grips with who he was. When he came to grips with who he was, he, he received the blessing and relationship with God that he was looking for his whole life, and he didn't even know it. At that moment, he was given a new name. When he was given a new name, he started to see the face of God in his brother. He started to, to view this horizontal world differently. And in his moment of despair, where the love of his life is dying, even in that moment, he can rename it. Genesis 35, 20 to 21. You know, when we, when we talk about this, when we talk about, you know, seeing things differently, often people think, well, you know, you're just ignoring the reality of what's going on. That's not what I'm saying. At no point does Jesus, nor Jacob here, ignore the reality of the painful, messy chaos that's in this life. The difference is that they don't allow 
the messy chaos and the pain in this life to have the final word. And so in the story here, we, we, we see Genesis 35, 20 to 21. It says, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, over her tomb. What does it say right there? Those four words, five words? Jacob set up a pillar. Can you say that? Jacob set up a pillar. Say it a little bit louder. And to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. And what's the next four words say? Israel moved on again. See what the author of Genesis is, is telling us here is that Jacob set up a pillar. That Jacob doesn't deny who he was, his messiness. Jacob doesn't deny the woundedness, the sorrow that he feels when the love of his life is dying. Jacob doesn't pretend that everything's okay. Jacob takes the time to grieve, takes, takes the moment to acknowledge the reality that he's living in. But he also doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay Jacob. It says he moves on, and it says Israel moves on. In the book of Revelation, it says in 2.17, it says, anyone who hears with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. Remember, manna is God's provision in your life. It's, it's what God gave to the Israelites when they're in the desert to provide for them. You can almost think bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy there. He provides for our needs. I'll give the manna hidden away in heaven, and I will... I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. God says, there's a white stone with your name on it. I don't have time to get into everything that the white stone means, but in short form, it basically symbolizes your acceptance to the party, to the feast, to the community, to the family. that you have a white stone with your name on it. And it represents the perspective of heaven on who you are. Not the, not the perspective on earth. Not the, the things that we see or name each other or name ourselves because of the broken and mess that we're, we're a part of every day. But the way that God actually sees you and sees the situations around you. That, you, that he has a white stone with your name on it. And I don't know which part of the journey of Jacob that you can identify with this morning. If you're, in this, if you're in this place where you're pretending to be somebody that you're not looking for blessing and acceptance. Or if you've, you're finally at this place where you're ready to kind of turn towards God and say, this is who I am, my name is Jacob. This is, this is my brokenness, this is my struggle, this is, I've been wandering away from you and I'm done wandering. I'm going to invite the band up um, now as I'm closing. Maybe you're at the point where you've received the new name that God wants to give you. After you've come to God and said, this is, who, this is me and my, all my brokenness, and God said, I bless you. 
I'm giving you a new name, a new identity that's not marked by horizontal relationships or mess, but one that's marked by, marked by a vertical relationship. And now it's actually moving away from that identity and starting to rename the situations in your life. The places of sorrow and saying, it's no longer going to be a place of sorrow, but this is a place of strength. That I'm, I'm going to no longer let this situation, this relationship, this mistake, this sin, this, this out-of-control life define who I am. And I'm going to let God define who I am. And as I walk out in that identity, I actually begin to rename relationships in my family, relationships in my workplace, relationships with my spouse, with my kids, with my friends, that I'm not going to let this have the last word. I came in this morning as Jacob, but I'm leaving as Israel. I'm I'm allowing God's name to penetrate my heart and propel me to rename the things in my world. morning as the band leads us in closing I'm going to invite you to actually respond uh, to wrestle to maybe build maybe this is like this pillar moment that, that Isaac did or that Jacob did that I I'm not pretending to be somebody I'm not. I'm not pretending that this stuff is all fixed. But I'm going to take a moment, and this is the moment where I go from Jacob to Israel. This is the moment where I go from my old name to my new name. This is the moment where I stop letting the things around me name me or name others, and I'm going to step forward in my authority as God's child to start naming those things the way that God sees them, those people the way that God sees them. If, if God is pulling at your heart in, in any of these places, because obviously this is a journey for Jacob, it's a journey for us all, and you, there might be one point in the story where you're like, that's me, i got to turn towards God. i, I got to be honest with who I am. I want a blessing from God. I want a relationship with God. I want my identity to be secure in God. I want my identity to flow out from me to others. I'm going to invite you to come forward as the band leads us and grab a stone. You might think, well, this is super simple and silly. But God uses moments in our life to put stakes in the ground. To say, you know, you came in this theater with a certain perspective this morning, and I'm, God, I'm here with you this morning. Because we could call this place Bethel or Peniel, the place where God is, the face of God. And I'm going to leave as your child with your identity going to start living out my purpose and renaming things because of the authority that you've given me. So I'm going to invite you forward as the band leads to grab a stone. And I encourage you over the next weeks and months until you, uh, until this, this, this sense of identity and renaming things just becomes part of your normal life that you would bring the stone with you. You put it in your pocket. You know, it'd be uncomfortable every day and I'd just remind you, oh yeah, this is my identity. This is my role. This is my job is to actually change the environment by renaming things, by not letting this mess have the last word, not letting pain have the last word. So as Mary leads us, I'm going to invite you to stand. And the band is just going to, they're going to play through the song for a while. You don't have to come right away. You can take your time. Your kids are in good hands. Don't worry. Um, 
and maybe I'll invite the prayer team to come forward first and they'll kind of be on the sides if you wanted to, um, to receive prayer as you come down too. They'd love to pray for you. Maybe you just want to come and, and grab a stone. And may this be your reminder that God accepts you the way you are because he loves you to death, but he's also renamed you and calling you to a greater purpose and identity that we're his kids and we bring that identity wherever we go. Let's worship together. When Rachel went to name her son Ben-Oni, it was actually custom in this culture that the fathers named the sons. Fathers named the kids. And so regardless of what Rachel wanted to name her son, Jacob, as the father, had the last word. And he says, no, that's not his name. This is his name. His identity is around not sorrow but strength. His identity is around not death but life. Not curse but blessing. And when people in your life, when situations in your life come to name you, God has to sign off on it. And so everything that comes your way, you, you bring it up towards your daddy, your heavenly father, and you say, God, is this my name? And he says, no, this is your name. You're my child. Life, not death. Strength, not sorrow. Blessing, not curse. I speak identity into you. And it's not that we ignore the hard things in our life. It's not, it's not that that disease is actually not there or that struggle isn't there or that relational brokenness and fallout is gone or that, that death of this person that you love didn't happen. All those things are very real. It's just saying, I want my journey and my life to be marked for my true identity, which is a child of God. I want to see this world not through temporary, material, earthly eyes, but through eternal, heavenly eyes, and I'm going to start living from that place. And so in the midst of pain, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of struggle, we live with hope. We live with a new identity, and we worship and serve a God that we know when all is said and done, he's going to make all things right. And that's why we call it faith. We live in faith. We live in hope. So I bless you, Father. We just, I thank you for each person in here. I thank you that you have called them son and daughter. Lord, we think to all the names that have been given them in their life. When they failed, when they messed up, when they disappointed, when they hurt someone, when they experienced hurt, when they experienced despair and loss and sorrow and death. And right now we, we recognize that you have a name for them, a name that speaks to their identity. And, and in Scripture, names represented identity and purpose. And and God has an identity for you as his child and a purpose for you. And we call that out of them in Jesus' name. Lord, we recognize that those who came in this morning 
many of us came in this morning with with a different perspective than we're going to leave because we've asked for your heavenly perspective. We've asked to live out of this identity and we know that you are faithful and that your word doesn't return to you unproductive or unfruitful. And so we just speak your word, your calling, your promise and your destiny and identity over each of us as your children in Jesus' name. Thank you for coming. Next week is going to be a great week. we got Ian Green here visiting. Uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Again, if you, there's prayer teams available at the end here if you want to still come forward for prayer.